Play of the Naira Bets, Kentucky Derby Bankroll Builder. This Saturday, bet $50 on one horse to win the Louisiana Derby at Fairgrounds with the Naira Bets app. Win or lose, get $20. Play all five Bankroll Builder races with Naira Bets and earn up to $100 in bonuses for the Kentucky Derby. New to Naira Bets? Sign up today with promo code REWIND200. That's R-E-W-I-N-D-2-0-0 and earn a $200 sign-up bonus. Start playing today at NairaBets.com or download the NairaBets app. 2021 will see the return of Lone Star's premier stakes day, Lone Star Million Day, on Memorial Day. So they wanted to create the biggest tournament they've ever had, featuring the most NHC seats and the most cash they've ever given away. Lone Star doesn't use any part of your buying as an entry fee. 100% of their prize pool is funded by Lone Star Park. 100% player bankroll. Memorial Day weekend, three-day mega event. Qualifiers are available now at horsetourneys.com for Lone Star Million betting challenge on Monday, May 31st. The buy-in is $2,500 in live money, eight guaranteed NHC seats, one in 10 odds or better, 15 seats are possible. Cash prizes are $15,000, $4,000 to the winner. Visit www.lonestarpark.com slash handicapping tournaments for the complete schedule. Welcome to episode 84 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl. And today, my special guest is someone who has done excellent work with 10-Strike Racing and is an all-around great handicapper. His name is Clay Sanders, and we go over races 5, 6, 8, and 11 from Saturday's wonderful Rebel card at Oakland Park. And some angles we go over are why a 60% she dares the devil should be more dangerous next time out. In allowance races, if a horse has lost level 4 or 5 times, look to avoid, especially at low prices. And I guess Michelle Yu was right. Backwards don't stop. This is Red Board Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest. He's been on the show once before. He is one of the magicians of Oaklawn Park. It's Clay Sanders. Clay, how are you today? I'm doing great, Spencer. How are you doing? I'm good. Just got done uh, with an early work shift over at Target. Now we're just getting ready to talk some Oaklawn racing. I heard you were at Oakland over the weekend. How was the atmosphere out there? You know, it was a little better than them. I was there uh, two weekends ago for the Southwest, and it was still pretty hardcore, uh, you know, lockdown for COVID, and it was only box owners and pretty limited. Um, this time they had the infield open, and they had all the boxes open versus 50%, and uh, I was up in the jockey club, and there wasn't an empty table. So it wasn't, like, full. You didn't have, like, the general admission, but I'd mm-hmm. say there were – five six thousand there instead of you know normally there would be like 30 on rebel day but uh there was some buzz but not the normal but uh, it felt good to you know be at the racetrack that's for sure it feels like we're finally getting back to normal you know with certain tracks opening up even if it's just that you know 500 to a couple thousand or you know as we get you know five ten thousand for the big days this year so far for oaklawn has there any certain trends or anything i know you kind of watch the circuit pretty closely that uh you've noticed so far through the meet so I think it's uh, changed a little bit. Um, early in the meet, when they were dealing with all the weather, um, the track was playing really off the pace. And if you look at the historical data for Oakland, 
off the it's one of the more off the pace tracks i think it's the second has the second most closer friendly rating on the dirt versus i think hawthorne's number one but it was really playing to off the pace uh, when it was wet uh, when it was frozen um I, I know I gave uh, I was on the uh, pod with Pete and gave out the uh, pick five hit uh, when I was on there and I was just telling everyone you could just toss horses that were, you know, unless they were miles the best the front runners. Yeah, I mean you didn't want to be like all the way in the caboose, but you know, you want to be stalking mid pack. But if you were loose, I mean you had to be much the best to win. So that that, that kind of had been the trend. But uh, now that the weather's warmed up, I mean, talk about a. <laughs> flip of the weather and flip of the track. I mean, it's got tilted pretty heavily to speed. Um, you don't necessarily, you know, it's not like an inside wire job like, you know, Keelan used to be, but it's, you know, you got to be in the top three or four um, now. And uh, you're not seeing a whole lot of uh, even, you know, horses coming from fifth, sixth back. So uh, that's been a, a big trend. Uh, when I was there from the Southwest, uh, the, the track was extremely wet and you had to be way off the rail. So uh, if you if you bet any horses, uh, I know Owendale was stuck down in the racetrack on the rail, and those horses had no chance. So, you know, those are a couple things that I've noticed. But uh, I just say keep your eye on speed horses. Um, and, the, and the other interesting thing about the speed horse, like even um, on Sunday, you had a few races where the races collapsed where some of the people probably said, oh, see, it's not speed favoring, but I think – you can have collapses in speed saving races and uh, still have that bias that's there. So I think it's something to keep in, keep in mind. I think that's one of the hardest things when it comes to biases. Is it bias or is it race form dynamics? And that's something that for me as not being the strongest pace handicapper, I try and talk to people who I know are good with pace that I can kind of learn from, you know, Craig Mulkowski, you know, JK is pretty good with it as well. I think too, going yeah. back to what you said with it being such a closer-friendly racetrack, and everyone always hears, oh, on the dirt, it's mostly speed favoring. Do you feel that that's why Oaklawn gets a lot of more? I, I've seen to notice now writing for the entire meet, they get a lot of, you know, 15 to $20 winners every day. And it, I think a lot of it is just that some people just don't understand the bias. They think a right. lot of times it's, you know, oh, there's two speed horses, one of them should win. And then the horse that's fifth or sixth that just maybe, you know, was a little bit short on the buyer figure wins the race. No, absolutely. I mean, I think people have been conditioned to bet speed. I mean, for good reason. And if you're not paying attention, you know, early at Oakland, those horses were just getting overbet and they weren't winning. And I think you got to make notes of that. So some of these horses are going to be coming back. Um, you know, you had speed horses that had no chance throwing in the meet. Now the tracks flipped and it's, you know, you're going to be getting a lot better price because they couldn't wire it or, you know, run well early in the meet. Now they're going to get the bias in their favor and, you know, a better price. So, I mean, those are some things you got to be aware of. I think, too, just looking at it from a connection standpoint as well, obviously Santana's on top of the jockey standings. Uh, a guy in second, I don't know his first name, but Arietta? I don't know what his first name is. Maybe you Man. do. You know, I met him yesterday. Uh, he is riding incredible. Unreal. And I know we're talking about, and we're talking about Saturday races, but um, there was a race on uh, Sunday where um, he just schooled Talamo. Talmo was on the best horse and he took his position. He put him in the box and Talmo never got out of it. And Talmo was on the best horse and, you know, ends up running second. Uh, he, I think you've got to keep your eye on him for uh, down the road. Uh, he's in second right now. He's only four back of Santana. Maybe you can catch him, maybe not. Floron, obviously, you know, the normal 26% win percentage, 17 for 65. But it's been interesting watching. I usually don't get to watch a full meet go all the way through usually I'm bouncing around from track to track trying to cover stuff for Pete or just you know when I was doing a lot more writing for my own website the Daily Gallup and to actually sit down right. and start watching you know 
slow climbers, you know, one guy, maybe he was 0 for 11 opening weekend, but then like, you know, just, he's always known to just get those two winners a week. They you know are decent, decent priced horses. They know that 10 to $16 range. Right. Absolutely. No, you got to see, I think that's, you know, people that play a, a meet, you know, and watch it from beginning to end versus people that are just a weekend warriors can pick up on some of those trends that you're talking about. I mean, it, it will pay off. Looking forward to just overall on Saturday, was there anything on the undercard or any of the races that we're not going to talk about that you kind of found interesting or not interesting? I know I didn't prep you for that, but if you had any other thoughts on any of the other races. So we had a horse in the first race, uh, Montgomery Park, that, uh, you know, had been a a big disappointment for us. Uh, We thought uh, Brad had already started talking about Saratoga and maybe a stakes horse as a two-year-old. She kind of had underperformed in the afternoon versus her workouts. So, you know, we were hopeful she would run well on Saturday. She ended up running fourth, got beat by a really talented Asmussen horse that didn't necessarily show its form, had started twice at Saratoga and run 50 buyers, and she kind of ran off the screen. The next race, uh, there was a horse called Kaboom Baby that I bet at 20-1 to 1, the first out, and she ran huge, ran second to a horse that was another firster, that unfortunately I didn't do my homework ahead of the race with a half the ministry, which is one of the better Arkansas bred fillies that mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of. And they both won or ran one, two at double, huge double digit prices. But I was really interested in Kaboom baby. Um, second time. I know the, the trainer Ernie Wed doesn't crank him first out. Uh, he was really high on this filly and uh, she had a troubled trip, but she was, you know, light years the best in that second race. I, I think also, a lot of people, like, you know, as we, I've talked about the whole reason for this podcast, you know, Pete, JK, a lot of other podcasts, they just focus on the stake races. And for me, I'm almost to the point now in my career when I look at races where I'm excited to see, you know, a lot of the claiming races and the allowance races. Like, I'm more interested in seeing, you know, if that horse that's, you know, run close a couple times in an allowance, can they finally break through? Or is it just going to be where they're going to be overbet again and I'm going to find that nice 6-1 to one juicy price like I ended up finding on uh, in a race we're going to talk about earlier in the card. Do you kind of feel the same way? Are you still more stake centric where like you're just excited to watch the best of the best run? Well, I, I like, I like all the types of races and, you know, historically, you know, 10 strike, we had a huge claiming stable. Mm-hmm. I'm not as focused on the claiming as much as Marshall is now, but I really love, I think there's a lot of the tools that, uh, you kind of preach on the red board rewind that are more applicable a lot of times to these claiming races and some of these trends. And, you know, like you said, a lot of people aren't paying as close attention. So you, you don't have as many of the name trainers, you get some, uh, um, fuller fields. And I like, you know, you know, a lot of people hate the two life, three life, but I think there's a lot of little subtleties, nuance to those races and class that a lot of people aren't aware of. And I think that's where an experienced handicapper can really find an edge. I agree 100%. You hear so many people, you know, the Gulfstream meet, everyone talks about how you see those 8K non-winners of two life, 16 non-winners of three, and they say, oh, this should, they call it the championship meet, but they have these terrible races. <clears throat> I feel like if you're bad at a certain class level, Take the last grouping of 20 races that you've looked at and like, oh, I was one for 20 and look through the winner's profiles and then, you know, do another 20 races. And I guarantee you might triple or at least double your like your winning percentage or at least how many like close races you're picking because I I just there's certain subtleties. You know, it's everyone talks about how maiden special weight to maiden claiming is the biggest drop. But maybe at Gulfstream Park, it's some horses that were shipping in from Calder before it finally closed that were winning those races, and now with everyone having a couple races over the track, now maybe for next year, obviously there's no Calder, but maybe you're going to be looking for shippers coming into those races instead of the horses that were, you know, racing at Gulfstream that entire time. 
No, I totally agree. I totally agree. A lot of opportunity. Uh, and you can, those little, if you can increase your win percentage by small pieces, small amounts, it can really change your ROI in the long run. And, you know, maybe you pick up that $30 horse that you either bet straight or you include in one of your picks that really makes a difference between a winning week, a winning month, or a winning year. Something that I had seen on the Twitter timeline that I kind of wanted to bring up to my next guest that happens to be you, uh, Marcus Hirsch dropped his, you know, percentage of hit of like how well he's done so far for drf over his consensus picks or and they were talking about how his roi for win play show was positive but the that plus ev please came on and said you should be paying six dollars to win not not two dollars across the board and i just wanted to hear what kind of your thoughts are on that i understand that over the long run the profitability of six dollar win bets you'll probably end up doing better but i don't like losing you know seven races in a row if i can you know hit that place horse and you know make a couple bucks here or there and kind of keep the bankroll not entirely incinerated. It helps my mental psyche so much in a game where you really have to be mental tough to be good at this game. Well, that's absolutely true. And I mean, what I'll tell you is it all depends on your mindset, uh, how you handle things emotionally and what your long-term goals are. What I would tell a weekend warrior or somebody that goes once a month, Betting just to win, you know, 10 straight races, you may win once or twice. That's probably not a whole lot of fun for that person. If you're somebody, you know, you get the algorithmic type players or somebody that's playing more often and they don't care about winning each race or whatnot, obviously, I mean, I've, we've done a lot of data work. Betting to win is by far the best ROI. But, you know, you get ITP on there and he's, you know, criticizing people that are just there for fun, for action. And, you know, it's a hobby, not necessarily a vocation. So, I think a lot of people, you know, have just a different way of looking at the game. Me personally, I don't mind losing 30 days in a row. I play a lot of pick fives. Mm -hmm. I have the mentality where I can take those losses. It doesn't bother me. Where Marshall, on the other hand, he hates playing pick fives because he likes to see, like, J.K., the ball go through the hoop, and, you know, he's playing win bets and whatnot. I mean, I still play a lot of win bets, but you just got to know yourself and know what you're there for. And, you know, sometimes you can play, you know, a $50 win place, and your horse runs second and misses a photo, and, you're fine. You made some money and you're not freaking going home complaining that, you know, you got a bad ride or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it just depends. You got to know yourself with that talk on bankroll. Let's jump into our first of four races. Really great card Saturday at Oakland. The first race, <clears throat> race number five from Oakland park. It was the grade two Azari going one on one miles on the dirt. It was a short field, only five horses, but you had said you had a kind of a good idea going into the race. What was that thought? Yeah, well, I want to back up. You know, a lot of people hate five-horse fields, and, you know, I'm one of those when you have a five-horse field and you have a horse that lays over and it's one to five and it's just a boring race. But you had a field here. I mean, all five could potentially have won. Motion of Motion was probably a little black back-class horse that, you know, maybe with a little bit of a stretch. But you had the uh, Oaks winner coming uh, into this race, and you really have to look at her form, and you had to make a guess – whether it was the Oaks, an aberration, because she had this huge 15-point jump, and then she backs up 10 points. You know, then she hits the shelf. The spinster may have been probably a little bit better than for – I remember watching the spinster and, think, you know, as against she, there's the devil. I thought she was a fraud out of the Oaks. You know, and then she gets beat by Valiance, who was a horse I think was first-time dirt that day. I was like, yeah, see, she really isn't that good. Well, then Valiance comes back and runs a hell of a race in the Breeders' Cup. Really validates it, and you know she uh, she dares the devil against in that race. But my main thing I wanted to think about here is 
she there's the devil. She's going to be, you know, Brad Cox, top tra- one of the top trainers there. She, you know, wins the Oaks. She's the name horse, grade one winner here. And if you look at her form, she has four works coming into this race. And I know a lot of people don't pay that close to workouts, you know, we're worried about time, but you have to know the trainer. And I'm intimately familiar with Brad and, you know, parts of knowledge. He is a lot like Bob Baffer. He wants to have the fittest horse in a race. That a lot of is the big angle is, look, I can out train. I've got a bigger barn. I'm going to outwork you. Um, four works is, I mean, we have, uh, um, Warriors charge trying to come back off the shelf and he's had seven or eight works and Brad's still saying he's a month away. I know Colts don't typically need more time coming off the bench than a Philly, but this Philly just, I knew she wasn't going to be fit in this spot and I'm trying to figure out, you know, trying to beat her or not. And I think in general, over the long period of time, trying to beat horses like this, where, you know, this race for at least Brad Cox is not the goal for the year. Now, flurry racing, you know, they're, uh, I know uh, Staten really well. He's a hot springs guy. He owns the parking lot across from the track. That's his job. So winning this race is important to him. And she's in this spot because they don't want to go in the grade one apple blossom against mom and girls. So they probably rush her here off four works. And she's going to be, you know, the morning line says two to one, but I would have projected four to five. So I'm trying to figure out, I think, over the long haul, trying to beat these horses uh, is a positive EV situation. But then you got to think about which of these do you want to play? Latruska, you know, she's the speed horse. And like I said earlier, the track's been playing the speed. To me, she's, you know, she's winning grade three. She seemed a little cheap for a grade two. Um, the horse I kept gravitating to was uh, McPeak's Evitante, or however you say her name. You know, her last race was really impressive on the lead, which, you know, is the right running style. She runs a 101, which is um, equally as fast as the, the horse is going to be four to five in the, the Oaks winter. Um, she is coming off the bench as well, but it's, you know, a little bit less time. Uh, and she's going to be four to five times the price if she dares the devil. So I ended up landing there. Um, you know, McPeak shipping here, you know, he, he means business. And the other horse I thought was interesting, I, I would have been a lot longer price if it was a, you know, a bigger field, but Brad's other horse, get rid of what ails you. Seems like the only horse is going to be coming from way off of it. So if the race got really heated up front, I thought for, uh, get rid of what ails you could pick up the pieces. So in the picks, I just went too deep and, uh, that's kind of how I saw the race. I feel going over this race at first, like motion to motion to me is just kind of the horse I'm just never going to have. Her last winner was at Zia Park. I kind of just crossed that horse out. If she beats me, she's going to beat me, and she's going to be 25 yeah. to 1 at that point. I, I love your right. thoughts, and I, I kind of – she shares the devil to me. I thought exactly what you thought. Is the Kentucky Oaks an, an aberration? She's coming off the shelf. She doesn't have that many works. I wish I had gone back and done extra research in, in the spinster, which I didn't do, and we'll talk about in the recap. But after I did that research, I kind of had like that, that you know, face palm of if I had just done that, it would have made the race a little bit easier for me. I ended up on Latruska. You'd think she's a little cheap. I thought there's not a much easier grade two probably than this spot. The only horses she really has to look out for is Invitante, who won a grade two on blue time form fractions with a monster number that is probably going to regress if she doesn't get it all her way. And the yeah. five, which we said could or could not be a good horse. I always find it interesting, too, when someone like Brad or Bob ends up with two horses in the race. If she shares the devil, which we and me and you both thought she might be only 60 
why is this four horse in this race? Are they just trying to get a race into this horse as well? After that nice little Pippin race that, you know, maybe this is only the, the next best spot for this horse. But I thought get rid of what else. He was probably a little bit cheap, like how you thought Latruska was. I ended up on Latruska. I thought Invitante was going to be uh, an overbet probable second choice. When I saw the board and saw Latruska go off favorite, I was just shocked. Yeah, the board was a little puzzling. I don't know if everyone was reading into, you know, were the computers, you know, reading into the lack of works and whatnot. Um, obviously, the computers were against, uh, were against She Dares the Devil. Uh, I, I, and, you know, I have a tante. What'd she go off at four to one? I mean, she kept climbing. Three to one. And, you know, I'm, I'm scratching my head going, she's either, she's either dead on the board mm-hmm. for a reason or I'm going to get great value. <laughs> When you when you see that too, when you see a horse that you think should be five to two, two to one, and then all of a sudden it just goes up and up and up, and now you're six eight to one, everyone instantly just thinks dead on the board. But sometimes the way I look at it too is, if I'm onto something, I'm gonna be like the one out of a hundred that gets the value. But nine times out of ten, it is true that the horse is dead on the board. Yeah, I, I try to tell people not to get scared off of a horse based on on the board, unless. You know, you pay attention and you know the connections that are either betting or when they're live, they're getting bet. So, you know, you have a handful. Like if you see a Bob Baffert two-to-one morning line and it's going off at eight-to-one, I mean, I'm running for the hills. A lot of these trainers, you know, they, they tip their horses out. And if their horses are dead, I mean, it's a signal. But a lot of times, you know, there's connections that, you know, a lot of people don't know and, you know, they kind of get overlooked. So I kind of like it. You get value and you don't have to, you know, you're obviously not going to be right all the time, but you get paid when you're right. So, um I try not to run from him. For Clay, it was Invitante, and get rid of what ails you. For me, it was Latruska. Let's see if Latruska or those two can upset. She shares the devil here in the Azari right now. She dares the devil, caught a flyer and goes for the front from Envouton in second. Latruska will be third in the early running and she's pumped up in third. Wants to go between horses, couldn't get through. Trouble for Latruska in the first sixteenth of a mile. Motion Emotion is next and the early trailer is get rid of what ails you as they turn into the backstretch. In the 35th Azari and Kentucky Oaks winner, she dares the devil is uncontested up front and she just gallops along for Florent Giroux and leads by a length and a half from Envouton in second. Latruska is now in the clear. She'll do her running from third and two and a half from the front. Motion in motion just inside of her. Get rid of what ails you is the trailer. Fifth and last five lengths. First to last as they run to the half mile pole. No excuses today for she dares the devil who goes into the far turn and gallops along smartly in front by a length and a half. Envouton has every chance to outfinish her. Latruska is outside of her motion emotion is fourth now and about four from the front get rid of what ails you trails and they run around the far turn she dares the devil only a half length in front of Envoton and a three wide Latruska these three set the stage at the top of the stretch motion emotion and get rid of what ails you she dares the devil cuts the corner and leads Latruska in the center of the racetrack now comes with a full-fledged challenge then comes Envoton and get rid of what ails you she dares the Devil and Latruska. Final 16th of a mile. She dares the devil. Latruska to the outside. Gonna be close. She dares the devil. Latruska, she dares the devil. And number five, she shares the devil. Shows she's for real. Winning, paying 560 with a 99 buyer. The thing that I was going to say is exactly what you said coming out of the spinster. If I had seen Valiant had run so well against Monomoy Girl and I had forgotten. 
Ollie's can to me is always the horse that, until I look at her PPs, I never realized how good she actually was. I always remember her being that one that ran second and third by a neck or half a length, could never get it done the grade stakes. But she's actually, I believe, a grade one winner as well. And that field was probably sure. very good for a horse like that when she's just coming off of that one grade one. I think that you got great value. Well, and, and she was three in that spot, you yeah, know, going against older. So that's another thing to, to remember. I, I think um, – But I'm oh, – Go ahead. I mean, I mean, this race, I mean, was over in the first 20 yards. I mean, uh-huh. Slow stole this race. I mean, you take Latruska, and I guarantee, you know, you're scratching your head. Why are you not in front? And, you know, talk about a jockey taking it. Uh, and, you know, if you're on the class-wise, and we knew on class she was the best horse, and you get to the front on speed-favoring track, I mean, it's all over. And uh, I, uh, I watched training with Brad on Sunday after this race, and, uh, you know, he confirmed everything uh, I was saying. So, you know, this horse is not fit. Um, you know, we were just kind of, we entered the race because we wanted to see what uh, what showed up. And, uh, you know, it's a five-horse race. And he's like, I wasn't scared of anybody. And I hope she would win on class. And he's like, if she doesn't, uh, you know, my uh, other filly get rid of what else, you might be able to take advantage of a pace meltdown. So um, I, I would tell everyone, I think this filly should probably avoid Monoly Girl in those spots. But she earned a 98 buyer but she was not fit, and Brad said she would have won that race by five or six uh, with the, the right amount of fitness. So I'd look out for her down the road. I think looking just over the result chart, I think motion to motion, I don't know what the heck they're going to do with her, but she just I think just the graded stakes might be just too much for her at this point. Invitante, to me, I think yeah. showed that that grade two win might be a little bit of a farce being on a speed-favoring track. Didn't really regress that yeah. much. Went from a 101 to a 96, was still com- competitive. Get rid of what ails you improved very nicely from an A9 to a 96. And I think Latruska just, I, I think, like, when you think of horses, Whitmore, uh, Skydiver, I, I just think j- that she's just gritty, and I think she's going to run her race to the best of her ability. I, I, I watched the race, and I was upset with the ride at first as well, and then I had a talk with Marshall Sterling uh, after the race, and he said, if you look at the race, she shares the devil caught a flyer. Joel's just kind of trapped at that point, can't go anywhere. And then she's just three wide the entire race. I think if you flip, if you flip flop, maybe Latruska probably does win this race. And I'll, I'll look at that going forward. But I think she showed very well here. I think she shares the devil. I think this race will be interesting. I want to see exactly what the horses do coming out of it. Because at the end of the day, how strong of a grade two is this when you have a grade one winner, a, cu- a couple grade three winners, and then an allowance horse? It's just kind of, you know, you have to kind of see what they do coming out of this as well. Oh, that's very fair. There. Was there any certain trip out of here? Like, do you think, are you looking to look at a get rid of what ails you next time out if we can get more of a pace presence? Because I thought for what limited pace there was in this race, I thought she ran very well. I agree. I, I think she'll be one to keep track of. I mean, these deep closers like her, you know, you just got to make sure you have the right setup. And, you know, a lot of times in American dirt racing, you're not going to get the setup for a, a silly like this. But, I think if you can get somebody to hook early, um, you know, she made a nice forward move. She's a five-year-old Joe Sapper out of APND Mare, has every right to continue to move forward as a five-year-old. And, you know, Brad gets these horses and she gets them fit and they get in the right situation. Uh, you know, she stepped up. I thought she stepped up class-wise nicely. Let's move on to the next race. Race number six was an N1X allowance going 101.16 miles on the dirt. Nice field here of a lot of interesting choices. What would you like in here, Clay? 
So um, I think as we discussed earlier, you know, this race wasn't in any of the picks. So uh-huh. I always will look at these races and try to see if there's anything that uh, just kind of hits me over the head for me to play on an individual basis. I struggled. This is a great race for a pick. I would have, you know, liked to spread because, you know, I mean, of course, the morning line maker, Oakland, is the worst in history. But, <laughs> you know, the one, the one nine to two on this Todd Pletcher, and, you know, I think the horse goes off close to even. You know, you know, I'm scratching my head on this horse going, why is this horse here? You know, potentially maybe they couldn't get a race to go at Gulfstream. But, you know, Todd's had a lot of success shipping into Oakland in stakes races. But the last few allowance horses I remember betting against have all run poorly. So I wanted to beat this one. But then I look around and it seems like all the other horses have no speed at all. And as I mentioned, the way the track was playing, you know, I was scratching my head a little bit. Uh, what was interesting on the two horse, uh, you know, Moquette likes to win at Oakland. I think he's a, a B trainer at Oakland and a, you know, C minus anywhere else. And, you know, he, he gets hobby to ride here. And first I'm like, how did this horse get to Moquette? And then, you know, hobby, hobby shows up here. So there's a couple little things that, you know, in the picks, I certainly would have included. You got the three here for Asmussen, which is kind of a back class horse. You know, this horse got second in the Rebel. Um, you know, seemed like he's just better than these. But there's another horse that's coming away from the in the clouds. Second off the layoff, so maybe gives you a, a reason for improvement there. Uh, and then, you know, kind of the other horse I was looking at, and I don't know if it had to do with the name or whatnot, but Clay the Lionheart, um, this horse ran really well uh, off the layoff for, you know, first time of the start of the year and, you know, got beat a length, um, was probably with the track. And, you know, now he's getting on a track that's not going to be with, but I was hoping, you know, second off the layoff might be able to improve a little bit, but I was just worried about, you know, being tackled again. So ultimately I decided not to play the race, but that's kind of the, how I broke the race down. I think these type of races are super interesting. Like I said, I, I'm starting to really like allowance races a lot and claiming races a lot more in the stake and the maiden races. I think when you, I love the fact that you said that about, I think uh, Marshall Graham dropped dropped a tweet earlier on in the meet that I think that there were like five morning line favorites that went off double digits, like the first two weeks of uh, Oklahoma. I was like, yeah. I went back and I'm like, wow, he's right. So I going forward after that, I stopped really using morning lines because to me, I, not yeah. that morning lines are important to me, but I usually start at the favorite and work my way down. And now I've just gone back to the basic start with the first horse and work my way throughout the field. Because when, I mean, I mean, not even like a couple points off, it was two to one on the line and he was going off eight, 10 to one. I mean, it was egregious errors. And listen, I, not to get off on the tangent of morning line work, we know how hard it is, but there's got to be at least, if you watch the track, you're not going to make Deodoro five to one and, you know, random trainer a two to one you know Dior is going to take the money right. you know that one's going to float up i just in a game like this where there's already enough problems like something like as basic as that you have to be if you're because you're at the track the person who's doing this obviously is at the track you should be watching and you know knowing who is winning races well but i, I can top you uh oakland actually talked to our buddy nick camaro to be the uh morning line maker and they ultimately decided they didn't want to pay so i mean this is no joke it's like a secretary that makes the line and you can tell it's somebody that doesn't pay attention mm-hmm. you know uh, they they they, they you know, horses it would be three to five. They're making three to one. I mean, it's it's awful, and it, I, to me, it's an embarrassment. But you know, it's my home track, and you, the line is just a farce. 
going in through kind of my thoughts on the race, we talked about the uh, the Todd Pletcher on the rail. I just thought it was a little interesting. Like you had said, why is he here? Did a race not fill at Gulfstream? That was kind of my idea. And I thought when they – I saw the line at 9-2, to two, I said this horse is obviously going to take money. Looking through – I thought accession for Santana and Asmussen. The, the first race back was okay, I guess. Had obviously been beat by Clay the Lionheart. And I have a usual – it's a, an angle that I like to use going forward. And we'll talk about that on why I didn't have this one in the picks at all. But just just seemed like one had been in the Preakness, the Rebel. You know, he ran okay in the Rebel against Nadal, but – the two sl- it seemed like more of a sloppy track type of horse. Uh, the four for Giroux and Maker. I just thought, you know, maybe coming off of that sloppy track race, getting back on a wet track could be a little bit dangerous, but hadn't really improved the buyer in a while. Three straight races with low 80s. And then we get to the number 10, Clay the Lionheart. I really don't want to have a horse like this that has seven, six chances at the allowance level. I think if you, once you don't win the first three or four times, you just become that proven loser that you're always going to run close. The horse is always going to end up taking money. And he went off at a decent five to one, but because he had already beaten uh, accession as well, I just didn't want accession either. And I was hoping accession would take more money than he did. He also went off at five to one. I ended up on the two. Like it's just exactly what you said. Moquette. Why is Castellano here? And I, it's an old Mike Samich from uh, that, I, from having him on the pod and just listening to what he talks about, when the horse can kind of first time out as a four year old, run the same type of number he did as a three year old, that next race out you're usually going to see a big jump up of improvement. And second time four year old is a, is a angle that I look forward to a lot going forward. That's interesting. Very interesting. For also just looking back at the Pletcher horse in general. When you see someone coming off of a layoff like that and then shipping, is it more that and didn't get a race or, or work over the track at Oaklawn? Is that more of a negative to you, or do you not mind it either way? It's hard to make a general um, statement. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was the $100,000 person or treating it kind of like a stakes race. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I think you know as well as I know, this Goldstream form doesn't travel well. And outside of when, you know, when you have just a big class edge, I don't like taking Goldstream form at short prices. Uh, The main connection is Rosario and Pletcher. I think that was a a great horse to be against. And uh, even though, I mean, it had the track in its favor, but um, I I just, uh, that's just not a horse I like to play. There was no play for Clay in this race. For me, it was number two, tried and hit. Let's see who can break their allowance right now. Impossible task, both beautifully, and goes to the front from Ashar in the second. Alex June is taken back. Clayton the Lionheart will be wide. Coach Baugh moves up and takes third. Then comes Trident Hit and Believe in Holidays. Asar is next, followed by Accession, and the early trailer is totally Jimbo. Impossible task to the backstretch with the lead. He's a length and a quarter in front of Ashar in second. Coach Baugh is three deep in third. Four wide is Alex June. Then comes Trident 
Trident hit at the rail. Clayton Lionheart four wide. Believe in holidays and accession. They're all about five off the lead. Asar has one beat. He's six from the front. And totally Jimbo is the trailer as they head up the backstretch. And the leader is Impossible Task. Impossible Task. A length in front of Coach Baugh in second. Ashar stays at the rail third. He's less than two from the front. Alex June just outside of him. Then it's a lineup of three or four horses going into the far turn, headed up by Trident Hit to the outside Clayton the Lionheart and Believe in Holidays inside of him. Accession has two beat. He's five off the lead. Then comes Asar and totally Jimbo Impossible Task is still there. Impossible Task at the quarter pull. A two-length lead over Ashar, who now has taken over second. Here's Ashar off the rail and on the attack. Then comes Trident Hit, Coach Baugh, and Asar from the back of the pack. And right now, Trident Hit strikes the front. Trident Hit, the new leader from Ashar in second. A possible task is third, then Coach Baugh. But it's Trident Hit inching clear. Ashar is second. Impossible task is third. Trident Hit in front. And the number two Trident Hit does get it done, paying 1980 with a 92 buyer. We see that nice improvement. The Pletcher Horse ends up running a solid second with a decent improvement. Clay the Lionheart accession. Clay ran fourth. Accession ran way off the board. Any thoughts after watching this race and just uh, anything that you saw interesting out of it? You know, I, I thought that was a great pick there of yours on uh, in a race that was probably a head-scratcher for most. Um, that horse made a lot of sense. She got a great price. Um, I didn't notice any trips. I, I probably need to go back and watch it, but uh, I thought that was just a great pick. I I appreciate it. I, I think looking forward out of this race, just a horse like Clay the Lionheart, I think it's always going to be one I'm going to try and play against. I thought that the uh, the four for Drew and Maker, I thought kind of got back to, you know, he didn't run those, those low 80s. He ran a mid-70, but I think that that's the type of horse I want to be also playing against. I'll be interested to see where that Pletcher horse ends up coming back if he somehow for, for some reason stays at Oaklawn might be one that maybe doesn't take as much money next time out. Now having that loss, maybe we can get, you know, two to one, nine to five on that. And, you know, maybe it'll be decent value if he ends up in another allowance where there isn't a horse like tried and hit because in this race, the horse paid eight to one. I think exactly what you said was a head scratching race. And it was more, if this horse is three or four to one, I don't play it. The fact, the reason that I played it was because it was eight to one in value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think that's a good lesson for people on Clay the Lionheart, those horses that can't break through. They're always going to be over bed. They, put, they post really nice figures. And, you know, over the long haul, those are great bet against. Uh, earlier in the card in the early pick five, uh, I was against an Asmussen that had almost the same. Actually had been second like ten times in a row. I can't remember the horse's name. But, he, you know, I'm, I'm, my whole pick five is against that horse at a low price. And he's yesterday or Saturday was the day for it to actually win the race. But mm. in the long haul, those are horses you got to try to beat to win money. Let's move on to our third race. Race number eight was an optional 40,000 going six furlongs on the dirt. I kind of ended up on the number one, one for Richie with that nice big buyer last time out. What about you, Clay? What'd you like? So the, the, the scratch of soul street, you know, kind of put this race a little bit up for me. Um, I, I have a kind of an affinity for horses like the seven secret courier that uh, can all of a sudden get on a, uh, a run and win a couple races in a row and kind of march their way through conditions. Uh, I really thought that horse was going to sit a nice trip. Um, the last big number was on the slop, but 
you know, was up close down a track that you really didn't want to be up close. So I was giving him some extra credit there. Um, the other horses I liked, uh, I liked American butterfly a little bit. I usually try to bet against Dwayne Lucas, but this horse looked like a horse that might be, uh, able to improve second off the layoff. And, you know, uh, Lucas horses, uh, tend to need a race. Sometimes they need to have more than one, but, um, I thought that horse was interesting. And I, I thought the maker horse coming off Randy Morris, the horse wins at the same condition for a trainer that's a below average trainer and goes into a barn, even though it's only 14% for the meat, but we all know a maker in the claiming game. And, you know, Florent ends up here who's, you know, riding phenomenal. So those are the three uh, that I used. Uh, like I had said, I, I was on the number one, one for Richie. I just thought that that monster buyer jump up wasn't as big as most going from an 89 to a 96. We have uh, Arietta, who we've just talked about as being, you know, one of maybe the up-and-coming jockeys, being 20%. Contreras can obviously get it done, being 19% so far to me. And it was a horse-for-course angle for me when you were four for six at Oakland. It's kind of a little bit longer boutique meet, but just one that I really liked. Uh, Another angle for the number two special reserve, if they win at the level and come right back at the level, I want nothing to do with them. Why are they not jumping this horse up for a bigger purse? But I guess when you're running, you know, for $106,000, there's really only a stake race to go into. That's why knowing the purse structure at the at the track can also be very helpful to up-and-coming handicappers. Uh, Castellano ends up again, number three, Royal Dahir for James DeVito. I just, he just missed last time out. He's the second choice in the morning line, just back-to-back uh, 84s on both sloppy tracks. I just, I didn't think there was going to be improvement there. I, I already have a horse that I know has a 96 and could possibly improve again. Just one I didn't really like. I think it's number seven, Secret Courier for Diodoro. Four points of improvement, first time off the claim. I don't have numbers for how good he is second. I'm sure he's decent, but I just didn't know how much more improvement we were going to get. And usually you see bigger jumps with Diodoro's first time off the claim where this horse probably should have run like a low 90, maybe a mid 90 as well. And I think Ancient Warrior for Jerry Hollendorf and Rosario. I just think the best races for this type of horse were always like in the mid eighties and just that and it being lightly raced could improve, but I just need to see something else before I could kind of put this horse on top. So for me, it was the one, I know you didn't talk about the one, but was there a negative that obviously didn't have him in the picks for you? No, I, I, I just thought that horse was going to be over bet, um, off that big fig. Um, one thing you did mention about uh, that 10 Ancient Warrior and it applied to the uh, 9 that I liked a little bit. Th- these horses are coming out of uh, three life races into this condition that is much tougher. So they each have won two races and you're going against the one that's won six times, the two's won four times, you know, and down the road. So I think people, when they look at the races, need to keep that into consideration. There's a huge difference between, you know, a three life to a two X. You're on these two X's with, you know, optionals. So keep that in mind when you're looking at these races. For Clay, it was the two, the nine, and I believe the seven. Am I right? Two, nine, seven? Yes. For me, it was the horse on the rail, one for Richie. Let's see who can break their allowance right now. Perfect start. Special reserve and one for Richie. Go for the front. Special reserve going to lead. Secret Courier and Marvin are next. The then comes to the outside in American Butterfly. Royal Daher at the rail. Ancient Warrior three deep in Best of Greeley. At the back of the pack are 
full authority, and the trailer is fast-breaking cash. Special reserve into the far turn, a half-length in front of Royal Daughter and a three-wide secret courier. One for Richie is fourth at the rail. He's about to be joined and passed by Ancient Warrior in the center. Then comes Best of Greeley and Marvin. They've got four lengths to make up, a length and a half in front of American Butterfly, still full authority and fast-breaking cash. Back of the pack, special reserve just in front, Royal Daughter right alongside. Special reserve leads by just ahead from Royal Daughter in second. Two and a half lengths now to one for Richie, Ancient Warrior, Secret Courier, and American Butterfly. And special reserve is inching just clear. Special reserve now a length and a half in front from Royal Daughter, Ancient Warrior, and one for Richie. It is special reserve in front. And the number two special reserve gets it done in back-to-back -back races, paying 18-20 this time with a 94. You'd think when a horse wins at 22, 22 to one, and he goes off at eight to one, they bet him right back. But he was uh, he was another again another horse with good value. One for Richie going off at two to one kind of falls back on an eighty nine. And just if it wasn't for the you know improvement of Special Reserve, one for Richie and Ancient Warrior and, and your other horse Secret Courier would have been uh, ding dong into the, down to the wire. Absolutely, that was another great ride by Flo there. I, I think too, and this is something that people. They always want to bash the jockey and bash, you know, the guys who are twenty five percent. And I always feel like if you look at it in ten race samples, you're going to get, you know, maybe a good ride from Flow, you know, six at, six out of ten. Maybe two of those races are going to be excellent rides, and they're going to get two bad ones. Compared to where you know we right. get these mid tier jockeys, and you're going to see, you know, five bad races and five good races. So Flow, especially too, and it's funny because he's always been so well known in the Midwest and at Oaklawn, twenty six percent. I feel like he wins a lot of these races on six, seven, eight to one shots. Like it's just, it's like Irad Ortiz, but the opposite. Yeah, he doesn't get the respect uh, of the top tier jockeys. Um, I I'm not exactly sure why. I think a lot of people think because he's European, he's a better turf rider. I, I actually don't think. I think he rides the dirt better. Um, and I tell you what, he's one of the best uh, gate jockeys out there. I love mm -hmm. him on speed horses, and as we saw on She Dares the Devil taking horses that don't have necessary speed and putting them on the front. I just think he does a great job uh, on our horse warriors charge. I love getting slow up there because he, he just outbreaks people. And, uh, you know, there's something to be for being a good gate rider. Ancient warrior, American butterfly, you kind of said they're coming out of the same types of races. He ran a little bit better. Although American butterfly did improve from a 79 to an 83. So the horse didn't exactly go backwards. Took, I think the next progressional step up and maybe just needs to find a little bit weaker class level or, you know, just to show a little bit more improvement to where you can start hitting the board in these types of races and become a little bit more dangerous. Well, absolutely. So, and as I was saying before, Lucas horses, they, they don't make these big jumps. They kind of just grind their way forward. And like you said, you know, a little easier class instead of this condition, if they go straight to a 2X that doesn't allow horses that have won more than, you know, than that uh, amount of races, is going to be a slight uh, class drop that most people aren't going to catch. And you're going to be able to get a Lucas horse at five to one that probably would be two to one if it was in a better barn and the uh, um, condition was more obvious. Let's move on to the last race of the pod, race number 11, the race everyone wants to hear us talk about, the grade two Rebel, one one sixteen miles on the dirt. For me, I just kind of thought Caddo River was going to take all the money, which a lot of people thought I was completely incorrect in, and that Concert Tour, the other Baffert, would be getting a lot of, uh, a lot of money on him. I was surprised when I saw the board. But my pick was still going to be the con uh, number seven concert tour. What about you, Clay? 
So I, I agree with you. I thought that the, uh, the line maker had him backwards and, you know, as much as I'm going to bash on the line maker at Oakland, I actually got this one right. Mm-hmm. I may have been luck more than anything, but I, when I was there at Oakland on Saturday, everyone was talking about Cattle River and, you know, short leaf John Ed Anthony is a legend in Arkansas racing, He's had a ton of great horses, derby winners, et cetera. So it was the horse everyone was talking about. I don't know if it was, you know, the connection. The, the speed figure, but you know, normally when we're thinking about the rebel and you have Bob shipping a horse in with the best buyer, you're thinking you're going to be, you know, three to five on that horse. But, you know, if you really dig into this race, I think it was a pretty obvious why concentrator was the bet. And uh, I'll, I'll drop Nick Tamaro's name one more time. I mean, he always says the best bet against in racing are horses uh, that run huge figs on the lead and slow paces. And what happens is these horses will be able to save up that energy. And then in the lane, all the horses behind were trying to chase and they just, you know, leave them. So he wins the uh, Smarty Jones, you know, one of the preps by 10 lengths and gets this huge fig improvement. You know, and of course the counter is, oh, this horse is just getting better. You know, distance is getting longer, two turns, one turn, yada, yada. <laughs> but that was a fraudulent fig. Um I mean, I know the horse was training well, but, and, you know, people would say, well, you know, but the concepture is, you know, going one turn to two turn, but if there's any trainer that you don't worry about those things is Bob Baffert. It's a street sense out of a tappet mare, you know, this horse should improve going longer and the price, I mean, just fall out of bed. I mean, we should have been betting thousands mortgage in your house on at this price. But, uh, you know, I, I thought it was really obvious. I had Michelle Yu on last week, and we obviously talked about the preps in Southern California. And she said, uh, asked about Bob about life is good, I believe is the horse's name. And uh, he said, yeah. uh, why why can no one get up to that horse and challenge? He goes, none of them are fast enough. And she said after, when we were talking recapping, and she goes, Baffers just don't stop in these preps. Everyone who thinks that they're going to get you know a length or two and give them you know that they're going to come back like their chief speed, and they just never seem to stop. And it just kind of stuck in this race. I was already looking to play against Cattle River, and I said, well, let's see how, how right she is about with that statement. I think the thing with Cattle River, the two wins are by combined 20 lengths almost. And I think when you look at the maiden win, he was sub-even money in that day, and he's supposed to blow up, blow these horses away. Then he goes into the next yeah. race and beats Cowan. I, I bet Cowan when he lost to Senior Buscador, and I, just, I don't think that horse is any good when he runs second. Obviously, no. there's not much else behind that I think the reason the horse took so much money was had already won at Oaklawn, had already gone a mile compared to concert tour where they were going, you know, only seven. But when I've, I've always in the Derby preps, it's not so much about having speed. I want to know that horse that can rate and, you know, still be up on a hot pace, which he was in that San Vicente and still get the job done. Now, obviously freedom fighter probably isn't that much of a horse coming out of it. And it kind of just ended up being, when I look at the prices, if Concert Tour and them were flipped, I'm still probably betting Concert Tour, but to have him be the second choice was just music to my ears. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the hesitation was the, the second race for Concert Tour wasn't very visually uh, impressive. Uh, I think the horse drifted, just didn't do things as, as smoothly as a typical baffer. And, you know, the works, I mean, I guess the last work was a, was a bullet. But, you know, just wasn't lighting up the board like a typical Baffert. But um, I just think, you know, Bob knows how to win these races. And, you know, another thing that got me, it gave me a little bit of comfort to, you know, pound this was uh, I saw the 
um, the connections were here. I'm not Bob, but you know, all, all the connections were here. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of knew that uh, they thought uh, that horse was going to run well. It's a consensus pick here in the Rebel of the number seven concert tour. Let's see if Mink and Clay can get him across the line right now. Concert tour broke very fast. Caddo River is very fast. And the two of them hook up at once. A match race into the clubhouse turn. Concert tour in Caddo River. And now Giroux has to take back. And Caddo River is going to sit second. So Concert Tour is the leader to the backstretch, but Caddo River is pumped up and wants to go right back at him. Big Lake away in third, then Twilight Blue and get her number. At the rail goes Hosier Superstock and the trailer of the 61st. Rebel up the backstretch stretch is keep me in mind and concert tour determined to get to the front and he gallops along now in front a length and a quarter caddo river is asking Giroux to let him go and re-engage on the outside in second big lake is tucked in at the rail third he's less than two from the front then twilight blue get her number and hosier at the rail keep me in mind has eight lengths to make up he's outside of super stock three furlongs from the money and the rebel concert tour continues to lead. Caddo River gets his way now, and here he comes alongside. Concert Tour, three quarters of a length. Caddo River is next. Keep me in mind is passing horses. He's all the way up to a joint fourth, top of the stretch. Concert Tour is the leader. He's a quarter mile from a victory, and he leads by a length from Caddo River in second. To the outside, keep me in mind. Then get her number, final furlong, and Concert Tour is now four lengths in front, and Concert Tour is running them off their feet in the Rebel. Concert Tour, five lengths in front. Hosier might get second. Eight Rebels for Baffert Concert Tour. And the number seven Concert Tour gets it done, paying 540 with a 94 buyer. No improvement, but, I mean, I guess Michelle, you was right. Baffert's never stop. They don't. Um, you know, the SIG was a little light. The, the time was a uh, half-second slower than both the X6 and the... Um, Azari, but uh, you know, I, I know they think a lot of this horse. Uh, you know, there's some rumblings that they like this horse better for the Derby than uh, Lock is good. Then uh, you know, I, I think this horse is going to continue to move on. I'm not going to bet against him. I will say this: if you like Concert Tour and didn't like Cattle River, I, this is a spot where where Baffert has two. He must have thought Hoosier was going to be just good enough to get something done here. Only coming out of a maiden win with the great workouts back at Santa Anita and ends up running second at 18 to one. Yeah. And i tell you what, if you, when you design, we didn't really talk about race design here, but I, you know, assume that, you know, flow was going to send cattle river. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that they were going to use uh, Hosier as kind of a rabbit or something to kind of soften up for concert tour. And then when I said, you know, I don't know if, why they didn't push through, but you know, when Constantur got to the lead and you know, your point about Baffert's never stopped, you know, you knew it was over. Um, and uh, Hoja ran really well. Um, and you're right, they must have thought some. And when I said earlier the connections were here, I actually misspoke into the connections of this horse, uh, uh, Jack Wolf and uh, SF Bloodstock. So, um, they thought they were going to run well, they're not flying down on a private plane to you know be a chopped liver and get last. So, um, they thought their horse was going to run well. I will say this about the race. Obviously, Concert Tour not improving, just sticking at a 94. A maiden a, a maiden winner running second just improves the buyer three points up to an 87. For how good the Rebels been in the past when we talk about, you know, all these good horses coming into the Derby, 
this one maybe if they maybe if Constitutor can improve one more race, uh, we, we have what I think will be my Derby pick uh, coming up next week in Mandaloon over there at the fairgrounds. We'll see how he ends up doing. But I just maybe this race for me wasn't as visually stunning, and maybe this will be a race where I kind of take a negative annotation to it looking into the Derby. Yeah, I think, you know, it's not as strong a race as it historically has been. I think some of that had to do with you didn't get any horses out of the Southwest because they had to delay that, so it was only two weeks coming in. But, you know, I always am a little skeptical of Oakland races with short fields. You know, when when these happen out in California, it's kind of, it is what it is. But um, that said, you know, it's Baffert. This is like a California race. I'm not going to short this horse, and uh, I assume, you know, he's going to keep pounding on this horse, and with the breeding and whatnot, I think he'll continue to improve. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Clay Sanders, for coming on. Clay, where can people find you on social media? I'm uh, I'm only on Twitter. I'm at chsandy uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow the uh, Ten Strike Racing uh, Twitter feed uh, for some of our entries and uh, some of our winners. Do you know if you have anything going to uh, the fairgrounds for the big race car coming up on Saturday? I do not know for sure. Um, I guess entries are already out. I don't remember seeing an entry. Um, we have a quite a few horses, uh, probably more of our, our cheaper horses are down mm-hmm. there. I'll have to um, look again. Uh, I'm just kind of getting back into the flow after being uh, at Oakland all weekend. So uh, I'll have to update you later on that one. Completely understood. Like I said, thank you again. We uh, will talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks again to all the great listeners of this podcast and my special guest, Clay Sanders. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.